0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, you want to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Continuing on in our series in 1 Corinthians, we're, we're almost done. This is week 29, so we've been here for just about seven months, and uh, we have probably only have a, a week or two left, maybe three weeks left. So we're, we're, fin- we're, we're looking at verses 12 through 28 this morning, and we're not going to read through the entire section of 12 through 28. We're going to read through a few of the verses in here, and we're going to kind of summarize the rest of it, and then we'll go on from there. So as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 15, I know we pray for the teachers. We're going to pray for our time in the Word and uh, ask God to help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus and to hear His Word. So Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to open your word together this morning. God, that on a beautiful morning like today, God, that we could, we could hear from your word, we could be strengthened, we can be challenged by your word, and God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Help us to have hearts that are soft and, and, and receptive to what you're saying to us, and God, I pray that you would help us to remove distraction from our mind and fix our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I appreciate Tim saying that about the sanctuary remodel. And I just want to add, us being in this building is, is a gift from the Lord. If if you remember, or if you weren't here, we used to meet at a place that was like a warehouse, and it was a, it was a dump, okay? It was a dump. And then we moved in here, and it was like, wow, we've hit the promised land. This is amazing. There's not, you know, foul smells coming from the basement and mold and you know, just whatever else going on, and so we've been so blessed to be here, and we've done very little by way of like kind of remodeling the the this, this, this structure that we have, and so this is an opportunity for us to really gain more seats and to maximize our our time here at this building. And so we we we, we only owe we owe less than two hundred thousand on this building, so we got a tremendous deal on it. Um, and we're not in a position to buy another building. We're not, we're not going to go to two services. We want to stay together in that way. And so this helps us to maximize our, our time here at this building. And so um, I just want to discourage you as, you, as you think about remodel of everything, just be praying about your participation in that. Uh, we want to see this place redone. We want it done nice. But we'll never be a church of probably more than 225, 250 people, which is not who we are. We'll plant out. Before we get big, we're not purposing ourselves to be a megachurch by any means. Uh, we believe in church planting before we become a megachurch. That's, that's us. That's not every church, and that's okay. But I feel like for us as a church, we believe in, in the local church being in the place where it's at, impacting the, the, the locale that it's, it's in, that God's put them in. So we're going to continue to plant churches, God willing. All right. So last week... To turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. We talked about God brings dead things to life. God brings dead things to life. And we looked at, we looked at the, the way in which the Apostle Paul begins to talk about what God has done. And he mentions three people at the end of, of, of that little section in 1 Corinthians 15. And he talks about, talks about Peter, James, and Paul. And these three guys were, were the, in, in some ways, from the snapshots we have of their lives... There was a point in each one of their lives where they completely denied and refuted and tried to destroy the church. The Apostle Peter, as we all know, denied Jesus three times at the end of Jesus' ministry. And James was the brother of Jesus who said, man, they came to get Jesus one time and said, Jesus, you're out of your mind. What you're saying is, is, is ridiculous. And then we see the Apostle Paul, and we know him to be one who, is, who single-handedly tried to destroy the work of the Lord. And here it is. The Lord took these three men, transformed their lives, and brought them to be pillars of the church. And it gives hope for us. Doesn't that give hope for us? We think, man, I've denied Christ. Or maybe I try to destroy the work of Jesus in other people's lives or in my own life. I've done those things. And yet God can take those things, transform them, and bring us to life. That is the hope that we have in Jesus, that God brings dead things to life. Now we're going to continue on this week looking at the rest of this chapter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is open with a story. Colette, Colette Irving, 24, blames herself for the devastating consequences of not managing her condition properly And has told her tragic story in a bid to warn other young sufferers. Diagnosed with the illness when she was eight, she struggled with the burden of daily insulin. So she had diabetes. She was a diabetic. She struggled with the burden of daily insulin injections that would deliberately... She would deliberately stop taking her medicine in protest if her mom argued with her. When she was 18, she went out drinking with her friends every weekend and binged on junk food against medical advice. So her mom and her, her family said, look, you need to take care of yourself. You need, to, you need to watch what's going on in your life because there's going to be an effect. And in some ways, she said, forget you. Like if, I'm going to, if you're going to get in an argument or, or withhold something from me, mom, I'm going to quit taking my insulin. And in, in regardless of what the doctors say, I'm going to binge on junk food and drinking and all these other things. But she never fully realized the damage she was doing to her young body until it was too late. If I had seen someone like myself at a younger age, someone who had gone blind and couldn't look after themselves anymore, it probably would have been a wake-up call. If I could go back and do it all again, I I really would. If I had known I was going to end up blind at the age of 24, I would have looked after myself a lot better. The best thing I can do now is to warn other diabetic sufferers not to do what I did. That's the best she can do right now in in her state. She's blind, suffering the effects of her disease and her destroying her own body by her own hands. Regardless of of the advice of her doctors, her family, her mom, she went her own way. And in some ways, it's a bit of a picture of the way in which we can think about our own lives. Because in some ways... We can so often, and I do this, deceive myself to think that the actions that, that I take today, the things that I do today, have little to no effect on my future. So the stuff that I'm, I'm, en- I'm engaged with, the stuff that I'm doing, look, if it feels good in the moment or if I want to do these things, then it's probably not going to have much effect or I'm just not going to think about the effect and hope that it never really has an effect on me. See, the Corinthians church was plagued by a number of things. Sexual immorality. There was greed, people suing one another for, for, for gain for themselves, suing people outside the church for gain. There was a desire for wealth at the expense of other people. There was no consideration of their brothers and sisters and the way in which their lives affected the people around them. There's very little consideration of the things that they're doing and the effect that it would have as the years would come by and the effect it would have on the people around them. So let's read 1 Corinthians 15, we'll start in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So going back to verse 12, he says, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So obviously there's some, some, some factions or some people in the church coming around saying, Look, I, I know what the Apostle Paul has said, but what we're going to tell you is that there is no resurrection from the dead. That this life is all that we have. And what he talks about later in the chapter, and we'll get there next week, is this understanding that really the things that I do with my body, things I do with myself on this earth really have no bearing on the future. It doesn't matter. There's no resurrection. What's the point? We can do whatever we want to do because there's, no, there's going to be no day of, of reconciliation or no day of, of reckoning for ourselves in what we've done. This helps us to understand why they had some of the problems that they did in the church. All these problems going on. People living today as if there is no tomorrow, as if eternity is not in the horizon. So earlier this week, got the mail, and in the mail was a letter from a collections agency. Okay? Now, don't raise your hand, but if, if you've ever gotten a letter from a collections agency, Okay? It's not a good feeling. Trust me, okay? So I get this letter from this collections agency, and I open this letter up, and lo and behold, it says that I owe $420 to, to this, this agency, that, that my debt has been turned over to them, that now I need to pay up because there's all these terrible things that are going to begin to happen to me, in our credit and all that kind of stuff. Well, your heart sinks, doesn't it? I mean, your heart just kind of like, oh, wow, what have I done? Now, the, the weird part is I got this letter, and I'm thinking to myself, but I was never given any prior letters to, to this, this debt that I owed. So I, I just, this came from out of nowhere. I mean, surely they would have sent me a couple bills or something in the, in the first place to say, hey, you owe us some money. I didn't get any of that. It's got this letter from a collections agency. But the problem was is that I could have been living my life as if there was no collection day. Right? I'm living as if I have no bills to pay. I was living as if that bill didn't matter. As if one day there wasn't going to have to be a day of reckoning for myself. Now the good news is, is that after, after wasting a considerable amount of time, I called this, the, the, it, was from the, it was from the hospital, sent it to a collection, I called the hospital, hey, I, I got turned over to collections, I didn't know I owed any money, and they're like, oh, you don't owe us any money. So, I called the collections agency. I'm like, hey, I got this letter from you guys, and I need to pay this right away. All these, all these bad things are going to happen to me. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. We sent that letter to you in error. You don't know us anything. I'm like, how do you, how do you say that I owe you 400 bucks and tell me I'm in the collections on accident, right? How does that happen? I was going to get turned over into in collections on accident. I do not know anyone anything. That's why I never got any bills before that all kind of stuff. But the point of it was this is I opened this letter, and my heart sinks. I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe it. I, I must have missed all these bills. And... But the thing was, I could have been living my life as if there wasn't a day coming when that letter was going to be in the mail. I could have just pretended and ignored everything that I've gotten in the mail because I want to live my life the way that I want to live my life. It doesn't matter. It's just about me. It's about what I want, about my desires, about the things that I want to spend my money with, and I'm not going to need to pay that bill ever. But guess what? There is a day coming when that collection bill is going to get in the mail. My actions will have an effect on the future and what I'm doing. And what Paul goes on to say is that if there is no resurrection, then it really doesn't matter. Man, if this life is all that there is, then what's the point? Then go ahead and live the way you want to live. But he says, that's, but that's not what we're preaching. That's not what we proclaim to you. Even though that's what people in the church are saying, and that's one of the reasons why there's so much mess in the church, because we're living as if there's no bill due. Say, look, that's not the point, that Christ has been raised. He said we need to live with eternity on our minds. We need to live with realizing that eternity is in the horizon, that it's not far away, that one day there will be a day of reckoning for each one of us. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when you're watching like sports or something like that, there's a million commercials for for cars, right? There's a million car commercials. There's a million beer commercials, but there's a million car commercials. Now, what's ironic, and I think this is true, at least in my own experience, is that immediately after a car commercial, there's like an investment in your retirement commercial, right? Because what the the retirement industry realizes is that no one's, Putting it into retirement, everyone's buying the car. So they need to follow that commercial up with a retirement commercial. Like, hey guys, don't forget you've got retirement coming up and you don't really need that brand new car right now. You need to invest in retirement. And no one's, Everyone's like, yeah, forget that. We're just going to buy the car and forget about retirement, right? Just notice that next time you're watching. Because they realize something, that we don't like to think about the future like that. We don't want to think about retirement. We don't want to think about eternity. We, we, want it, we want what we want right now. And that's one of the problems that the Corinthian church were experiencing. They were only thinking about the then and the now and what, is, what, what, what I want in, in the moment. That's what the Corinthian church was experiencing. And we are today, we are still, we are bombarded by this. This idea that we need to live for the moment. We need to, we need to fully engage with where we're at, and that's true, but we need to also have an understanding that we are people that were made for eternity, and that our actions today will have an effect on our future, and that we are not isolated people left to ourselves. And this is important for us because the way in which we live today has an effect on our testimony to a dying world. The way that we live our lives today has an effect on a dying world around us, and in the way in which they see Jesus. We we have a desire, our longing as God's people to see the name of Jesus Christ exalted above all things, that Jesus Christ would be lifted high, that all people would come to know and meet the Savior, the risen Savior, the glorified Jesus Christ who sits upon a throne, ruling and reigning over all things. We want people to know him. One of the ways we do that is by the way in which we live our lives, and there's an evidence, there is an evidence that God brings dead things to life, that Jesus Christ really is alive, that Jesus is the risen Savior, that he's not distant or dead or has forgotten about his people, but that he is in our midst. Let's keep reading. We are at 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So in Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive alive. It began in 1998 in in the stark confines of a doctor's office. John and Aileen Crowley were told the grim news that the 15-month-old daughter, Megan, had a rare muscle-wasting condition, Pompe disease. I think it's P-O-M-P-E. I don't know if there's... Is that how you say that? Anybody? Okay. I think it's Pompe, so don't laugh if I'm way off on that. Pompe disease. While their older son, John Jr., then three, was healthy, his newborn brother, Patrick, also suffered. There's grief, despair, incomprehension the couple experienced. They went through a spectrum of emotions. As they learned, there was no cure. The best they could hope for was to have Patrick and Megan breathe through ventilators with round-the-clock care. So this was a hereditary disease that was passed on to the kids. Kids had no ability to fight it off. There was no hope for the children. There's nothing they could do at this moment. Eventually, the terrible strain on their vital organs would claim their lives. If they celebrated their 10th birthdays, it would be a miracle. The family spent every waking moment researching the disease. The scientific community was working to develop an enzyme to treat the condition, but progress was coming at a snail's pace. So here's what the dad did Dad starts a bio, small biotech startup company. At the time, his kids are getting sicker and sicker and sicker, and this guy travels the world. He, de- he helps to develop an enzyme to save his own kids' lives, sells his stuff to a larger company, and it ends up the kids, are, the kids take the enzyme. And at the moment, at the time that they, they actually finally had a cure for this thing, they were barely even able to breathe. And finally, they took this enzyme within weeks. Things have completely changed. Or everything, is, everything got better. Their organs begin to, to go back to normal size. Everything's good. But here's the thing. So there's a a happy ending to that story, okay? Here's the thing. The kids had no choice in really the the DNA or or the genetics or whatever was passed on them. That wasn't their choice. And it could seem unfair or that's that's not right. But still, that was the case for the kids. They've got no other way. They had to suffer even though they had done anything wrong per se. When, when we, as the Apostle Paul, talks about in us being in Adam, he's talking about going back to the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are walking with the Lord, and the Lord says, look, you can eat from anything, any of the trees, any of the fruit in this garden except there's one tree. It's all yours except there's one tree. Don't eat from that tree. And so Adam and Eve have a, have a choice to make. Are they going to trust God, follow God, obey God? Or are they going to take things into their own hands and say, look, I want to go my own way? And we know what happens. They decide to go their own way. they either through the tree, they're banished. God says, look, because of that, sin has now entered the world, and now from every kid that you have, and, and every kid after that is going, to, is going to be born with the disease of sin. And we know this, right? We, for, if there's any little kids around, no one needs to teach little kids to disobey right? Kids are born, they're born with a desire to disobey their parents, to go their own ways, to demand, their, demand things they shouldn't have, to pitch a fit in the worst possible place, to, to eat things they shouldn't eat, to put their fingers in light sockets and whatever else, right? That's the way kids are geared. I remember we had our friends over one time, and this was probably a decade ago. Their, their son, I think, was a year and a half old, maybe, maybe a year old, and We had a stereo in our living room, and for those of you who are younger and don't know what a stereo is, okay, a stereo is this big thing you had probably in your living room or somewhere with these big speakers the size of cars, and had like a a CD player, and maybe a record player, and a tape player, and you know, all this stuff, right? That's that's called a stereo. (laughs) Well, their son walked over to the stereo, and they said, like, son, don't touch the stereo, and... He kind of smiles and, 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 and nods and looks and gives like a cute look. And then as he's doing that, his finger's going over to touch the stereo. So he's smiling, thinking he's distracting us and he's touching the stereo just because he wants to touch the stereo. It's sin, right from the get-go. Son, don't touch that. Okay, I'm going to go over and touch it because you told me not to, all right? Hey, that's every kid ever born. That's all of us. We, we all did that to some degree, to different things, Right? That's the sin nature that's been passed down from Adam and every person after that. I want to read a quote concerning this because there is a the Jewish understanding, right? So at this moment in time, the first century, the Jewish understanding is Paul's writing to the church. So the, Jewish, the Jews had a tremendous sense of solidarity. They were sure that people could never do anything that could affect only themselves. That, can, that someone could never do something that would only affect themselves, right? We, we deceive ourselves into thinking that same thing, like, hey, what I do is my own business. What I do is up to me. It's, it's all about me, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't have any spillover or effect to the people around me, but it does. And they held that in Adam, everyone sinned. The whole human race was, as it were, in him and when he sinned all sinned that may seem a strange idea to us and unfair but that was the jewish belief all had sinned in adam and therefore all were under the penalty of death with the coming of christ that chain was broken christ was sinless and conquered death just as in adam all sinned so in christ all escaped from sin and just as in adam all died so in christ all conquer death. Our unity with Christ is just as real as our our old unity with Adam. And this destroys the evil effects of the old. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. He defeats it, right? Where those kids had a death sentence from birth, so do we. It's called sin. And in Christ Jesus, he breaks the chains of sin he comes in and says, I've got a better way for you. I've got, if you will, the enzyme to bring the healing and it's called my blood on the cross. That's what saves us and redeems us from the effects of sin. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done. With Adam comes sin and death, but with Jesus Christ comes righteousness and life. And in Christ, we're brought to new life, to new resurrected life This is the the message of the gospel that the Apostle Paul hammers home to the church over and over and over again. And it's the message that you and I need to dwell on and consider and rejoice in and give thanks for and to worship Christ for and to celebrate as much as we possibly can. This is the good news that brings us from death into life, that we are dead through Adam and now we're alive through Jesus Christ. And this is exactly why we need Jesus so badly. Because he's the only way. That there is no other way. There is no other enzyme. There's no other healing. That Jesus Christ could come and take the the effects of sin in our lives and bring complete and total healing to us. No matter where we've been or what we've done, he's promised that through his cross, he would forgive our sins, past, present, And future. That's the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's exactly why we need Jesus so desperately. Because he's the only way. He forgives us, he restores us. That is the message we bring not only to ourselves, remind ourselves of it, and rejoice in, but that's the message we bring to everybody. It's the same message, the same message that Paul brought to the church, the same message that we bring to a dying world that they might meet the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you this morning for your gift of life and relationship and righteousness. God, we submit ourselves to you today. God, we remember the gospel. Lord, we give thanks that our sin has been covered, that our future is secure, and that, God, as we look at eternity and we keep that in mind, God, we know, Jesus, that we will be with you forever. In your name we pray. Amen.